What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio here on SiriusXM in the building for another special edition of the show today. We're doing a follow-up to our episode from a couple of weeks ago that we called HBCUs versus the state government. This time, we're going to explore another front of public HBCUs battle with the state government. There's been repeated attempts by leaders in several states to take control of public HBCUs and even merge HBCUs with bigger, predominantly white institutions. I want to highlight a few of these instances and talk about a recent situation with Tennessee State and the Tennessee State government that almost put TSU under the direct control of the state government. Let's start with something that I admittedly didn't know anything about until I did my further research about the state trying to merge HBCUs. In 1967, Florida A&M University was almost merged with Florida State University. There is an argument by state leaders at the time that supporting FAMU was fiscally irresponsible due to Florida State being desegregated in 1963. An article titled, Is the Black Public College Dying?, that I found in the October 1973 edition of Ebony Magazine, lists several ways that the Florida State legislator tried to undermine FAMU, such as the attempt to abolish the HBCU outright, make it a satellite campus to Florida State, merge it with Florida State, or make it a school that offered specialty degrees not offered at Florida State. They tried to make FAMU a specialty school. Fortunately, these measures to harm FAMU didn't work, and FAMU is the number one public HBCU, according to the latest U.S. News and World Report HBCU ranking. However, talks of merging FAMU with Florida State have persisted over the years. While it's nothing but chatter right now, it's still something to keep our eyes on. Let's fast forward to 2009. Then Mississippi Governor Haley Barber proposed a plan to merge Alcorn, Jackson State, and Mississippi Valley State. According to an NBC report from the time entitled Proposal to Merge Black Schools Draws Fire, his plan entailed merging Alcorn and Mississippi Valley into Jackson State University. The quote-unquote goal of his plan was to save money by reducing academic costs and quote-unquote academic duplication. No consideration was made by Barber to preserve the history of the three public Mississippi HBCUs and the individual impacts on their community. It's all about the bottom line, right? Well, Barber failed in his plan to merge Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley, and all three HBCUs are continuing to uplift the Mississippi community and educate so many amazing minds in the state. Finally, let's talk about a state takeover and merger plan that I actually have a lot of knowledge about. In March 2019, when I was a student at Fort Valley State University, news surfaced from HBCU Digest about a bill being proposed that would merge my HBCU, Fort Valley State University, with fellow state HBCUs, Albany State and Savannah State. Under this plan, the universities would merge, creating the Georgia Agricultural and Mechanical University System, and oversight of the HBCUs would be taken from the University System of Georgia. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp would have been given the authority to appoint 11 members out of a newly created 13-member Board of Trustees if the plan passed. After backlash on the original bill, lawmakers said that they were unaware that the bill would be used to merge the three institutions, and a new form of the bill said that Fort Valley, Albany, and Savannah State would keep their university names. Wow. 
So generous of them to let us keep our university name as they put us under direct oversight by the governing body that has consistently underfunded us. As far as I know, the bill died and we haven't heard much chatter about it, but I believe that it's going to be coming up in the near future. But there's more cases like this that we simply don't have time to highlight in this 28 minute show. But let me speak for most HBCU alumni that want to see the success and sustainability of our HBCUs. There needs to be a separation between the state and our institutions. There's nothing to gain from allowing the same governing body that vilifies HBCUs and doesn't offer our institutions support to be in control of our affairs. That's a recipe for disaster. Coming up next, we'll highlight Tennessee State University's fight to maintain self-governance as TSU students, alumni, and officials recently fought off an attempt by the state to take them over. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio here on SiriusXM, where we're talking about if the state government is trying to take over our state HBCUs. And a perfect situation to bring up in this topic is what occurred with Tennessee State University. So Tennessee State University students and alumni protested outside of the state capitol on February the 23rd, and the peaceful gathering was in response to a report by the state comptroller's office alleging that the Nashville-based HBCU was fiscally irresponsible. Now, the report presented 12 policy recommendations including placing the university under the Tennessee Board of Regents and changing university leadership. On February the 28th, the Comptroller's Office shared the findings of their report in a joint Senate session. And in that Senate session, the state leaders on the subcommittee voted to allow the Board of Trustees to continue their operations for another year, which means that the university leadership will stay intact for another year. So it seems as if the battle is over and the situation is won, but I have Tiara Thomas, who is a Tennessee State University alumna and an HBCU Pulse political correspondent that is saying that the fight is far from over. Tiara, how are you doing today? I'm good, Randall. How are you? I want to start with this. So for those that didn't know, you were student trustee for two years at Tennessee State University. So I want you to tell us about what is the function of the University Board of Trustees and also what you did as student trustee. Yeah, absolutely. So I served, like you said, two terms on our Board of Trustees. The Board of Trustees under the 2017 Focus Act, which I'll give a little history here. In Tennessee, in 2017, they passed a bill that allowed four-year public institutions to be able to govern themselves through a board of trustees. Those trustees boards are made up of 10 members, two include one, which was myself, the student trustee, as well as a faculty trustee, and then eight other members that will be appointed by the governor and go through an appointment process with the Tennessee State Legislature. And so the board of trustees has the ability to provide direct oversight of the governance of the university, as well as be the direct governing body over the president of that university. And so we look at everything from budget to programs, we look into capital projects, and the overall management and governing of the university and to make sure that the university remains afloat. I want you just to break down what's been going on with Tennessee State and the state legislator. Uh, you brought my attention to this because I did not know the severity of it. I heard about it. You know, I saw what was going on, but then I saw your tweets and I saw how severe the situation was. So could you walk us through what went on with Tennessee State and the Tennessee State legislator? 
For the past couple of weeks, TSU has been really putting themselves on the forefront to try to protect our ability to self-govern ourselves through our board of trustees. That ability to govern ourselves was threatened by the state legislator here in Tennessee with the possibility to be taken over by a state agency called the Tennessee Board of Regents, which currently only governs the Tennessee technical colleges and community colleges. So we would be the only four-year public institution that would be under this system had the state decided to take over TSU. So, Tierra, the basis of this whole situation is based on the Tennessee State Comptroller's Office report about TSU. So could you break down for us, like, what was in that report and also why it's important? So the Comptroller's main job is just to make sure that all agencies in the state are operating efficiently. And so when it came to TSU, we, like everyone else in the country, had an uptick in enrollment. And so we had to ask the state for permission to lease out some hotels and some off-campus housing. And so that pretty much put us on the radar with the Republican legislature. Um, I don't know if you really remember in November, there was a viral video that went around with one of the legislators in Tennessee that asked Dr. Glover, why, basically, why do all the Black kids want to go to TSU? And are you aware that you're taking away from the diversity, and equity, and inclusion efforts from other universities such as UT? Disservice to all the other universities on trying to recruit African-American students, <laughs> minority students, because y'all have made such an aggressive promise to these students to come there that they're bypassing and get the same education I mean, what, I'm trying to figure out in my mind, <laughs> all this, all of a sudden, 2,000 <laughs> students out of the blue decided, no pun intended, because out of the blue. Of the school, <laughs> yeah, out of the why, blue. Why did they TSU? Was it the aggressive marketing campaign, or was it because? It was the I stand as a TSU, the quality education I'm going to TSU. Which, I mean, we all know the answer to that question. Of course, the black kids want to go to the HBCU over T UT. But, in hindsight to that question, the comptroller began to investigate TSU's ability to manage um, increased enrollment and also to manage their ability to plan for the future of their housing crisis, quote unquote. Um, and so in, in essence, they were just questioning TSU's overall ability to govern itself and to be able to make sound decisions to make the institution or the government agencies, they would call it, run effectively and smoothly. And so in the comptroller's report, it's an 82-page report. It's very long. Um, they investigated students. They investigated all 10 members of the Board of Trustees, different, different faculty. They focused in on housing, our future housing plans. They focused on scholarships. They focused on our budget, how our board operates, as well as a little bit of student satisfaction. So it's very important if it wasn't seems like what we would call picking on TSU. I think reports like that are very important for all state agencies if you're looking at it from an organizational level to make sure they are running smoothly. But when you have a situation like TSU, you should be applauding the university for increasing enrollment and doing all that you can to make sure that your only public institution in the city of Nashville is equitable and accessible for all students and doing everything that you can to support TSU. And in hindsight, we were being reprimanded for growing and thriving.
So one of the big things that was talked about from TSU alum is the whole entire notion of Tennessee State being moved under the Tennessee Board of Regents. So why is that a bad thing? Because I want to talk about like why this is bad so folks can understand why Tennessee State alumni were upset and were fighting against the notion of moving under the Board of Regents. So what is the Tennessee Board of Regents and why would it be bad for Tennessee State to move under the Board of Regents? The Tennessee Board of Regents is the state's board of trustees for all community colleges and technical colleges in the state. Prior to 2017 and the FOCUS Act, all four-year institutions, technical colleges, and community colleges were governed by TBR. TBR, like I said, after 2017, no longer governs four-year universities, including Tennessee State, and gave them the ability to form their own board, and so they can govern themselves. Now, TSU has solicited the help of TBR to help them with facilities management, capital projects from the state, and helping them do things on a larger scale, but we still run our university the way our board of trustees decides to run it. So the fear would be going under the Tennessee Board of Regents at this point in 2023 would raise a couple concerns. Um, one being that, again, they only govern community colleges and technical colleges and have been since 2017. So we are not sure that they even have the knowledge base, the capacity to even handle a four-year institution and Tennessee State University. Secondly, the TBR is ran by the state. So essentially, that's where you get that TSU is being overtaken by the state context because the TBR is a state agency and it is ran by the state and reports to the state. And that would be pretty much just our fear of not being able to govern ourselves and losing the essence of what we feel like is our HBCU and having the ability to not know when will we get our ability to govern ourselves back? How long will we stay under TBR? What changes are they going to make? Because when you start looking at things like them changing tuition or admission requirements, you start looking at those populations, again, of Black students who are first-generation college students or in low-income families who, if they raise tuition, might not be able to afford TSU anymore or admission standards to now they've making TSU as hard to get into as a UT. So we have to consider things like that that makes our TSU, our HBCU, the safe place for Black and Brown students in the state. So why does it seem as if the Board of Trustees has drawn the ire of the Comptroller's Office and the Tennessee State Legislature? Okay, so based off of our power structure in Tennessee, the Board of Trustees, like I mentioned, is a appointed and approved by the Tennessee State Legislature and the governor of Tennessee. So every so often, the Board of Trustees at any four-year institution that is public in Tennessee has to go through what they call a sunset hearing. The sunset hearing allows for the state legislature to assess the effectiveness of the board, the growth, and you know just the positive aspects going along with the board under that Board of Trustees. And then each hearing, each sunset hearing, the legislature decides if they are going to extend or not extend the terms of the current Board of Trustees. So in this case, our sunset hearing for our Board of Trustees was last week, which is what we saw going on on Twitter and everything. 
And so along with that sunset hearing, we had a special audit done starting last semester when our university saw a record enrollment and also some housing challenges around that record enrollment. And so we kind of had a double whammy against us. And so they used that audit to determine if we were going to extend our board or not. And through all of that, they decided ultimately that they would give our board one more year to operate and then we would do our sunset hearing all over again. So we reported back on HBCU Pulse in January that Tennessee State University got a $250 million money allocation from Governor Bill Lee that was billed as an investment. And we know it's not an investment, it's a repayment because Tennessee State University is owed $544 million based on the findings of the Tennessee Office of Legislative and Budget Analysis. So I want to know, is the money allocation of that $250 million, is this correlated to this comptroller's report and the Tennessee State legislator trying to put Tennessee State under the Board of Regents? Even though this audit report and this overview of our Board of Trustees is mainly based on housing and housing challenges, we cannot use any of those funds for housing or any revenue-based buildings, which would be dorms that are based on enrollment, which bring in tuition. So no. That $250 million doesn't have much to do with this, even though you would hear most people say, if we had the money that the state owed us, we wouldn't be in this predicament. Yes and no, but in this particular situation, there's not much that that $250 million, based off the requirements for that money, would do to help this situation. As an alumni, especially a young alumni that is on social media, that's seeing what's going on, and that's also connected, like how did you feel when you first heard about this issue being raised and about the comptroller's report and their findings? Being an HBCU alum, not just a TSU alum, I think it raises a lot of questions for what Republicans in general are trying to do with our HBCUs. Because even though we're talking about Tennessee State right now, we've seen similar situations with other universities around the country dealing with their Republican governance. And we're always under attack. And so for that to be hitting home with my university, um, it caused me to really kind of like dig deep into what is it that's really going on. And I wish I could tell you what the game plan is. As Black people, we know that there's always some aim for our racial counterparts to knock us down. So it could be a multitude of things because TSU is thriving right now. We have a record enrollment. All of our HBCUs are thriving right now, especially after COVID, after the George Floyd situation, when a lot of Black students are starting to come back to HBCUs. It's just heartbreaking. These are our safe places, and they're trying to even take our safe places away. So it's almost like, okay, if they take over TSU, where else do Black children in Tennessee have to go? Because we're thinking about children who are either first-generation college students, they're in low-income families, they can't afford to go to any other institution, and then TSU is the only public HBCU in Tennessee. So when you're looking at state funds such as the Tennessee Promise or any other types of state-led financial aid, they can't take that to any other university or that might not be as accepted or they might not get as much funding for a FISC or a lane that they would for a TSU. I think that's important to speak about because that shows why HBCUs are needed because it gives other options to black and brown children. So, like, do you think that this move from the Tennessee State Legislature, the Comptroller's Report, and really the process that happened, do you believe that this is going to cause a precedent around the nation for other state HBCUs? Absolutely. We see situations like this happen all the time. And let's just take HBCUs out of it for a minute. Let's think about what's being done across the country about abortion or 
gay marriage rights. It starts in one state and then it seems like every other red state does the exact same thing. So they're planning amongst themselves outside of the scope of the American eye to do things like this. And I think it's time for HBCUs to take a look at what's happening with the FAMU, with the TSU, with the Jackson State, and really start probably planning amongst themselves at some of these conferences about how do we protect our HBCUs? Because as Black people, we have to work two, three times as hard to be just as good as some of our racial counterparts. And I think one thing that's extremely important, and I'm very big on accountability, our HBCUs are great, but we all know coming from an HBCU, there are some things that could be so much better. And so when you're under the microscope of especially a red state, you really have to make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row. We can't give them an excuse to even consider taking us over. All of our finances have to be perfect. Our enrollment has to be clean cut. Everything has to be together. And we have to do a better job as HBCUs to make sure that we're not even in consideration for some of these things. Um, even though some of us are underfunded or we are lacking some resources. Our communities and gen for generations, Black people have been making a lot out of nothing. And so we can't allow that we're in 2023 now, we're in a different generation to take over because in their eyes, we're still the same Black people with nothing, no education and no promise for this country. And we can't take advantage of that just because we're in a different generation. So the state legislators on the subcommittee voted to allow the Board of Trustees to continue their operations for another year. Is this really a win for Tennessee State? And what needs to take place within this next year for this situation with the state legislator to be properly and fully handled so we can move on? I would definitely say it's a win for TSU. One, because if you look at the policy recommendations, we got one of the better options. I mean, we were scared of policy one and two, which was to either place us under the Board of Regents or to completely vacate our Board of Trustees completely. And so for us to even still have a Board of Trustees, not even be under the consideration of TBR, I think that that's a huge win for us. Now in this next year, everything that that Comptroller report had to say about TSU, we have a year to try to fix that. Because like I said, sunset hearings are routine. So you don't get to choose if they renew your board for a year, eight years, six months. You have to make sure that with every time that they give you before your next sunset hearing that you're ready to go and you go in with, with no questions asked. And so we'll do this process again in a year. We might not have a comptroller's report because this comptroller's report was a special audit that was done based on our housing situation. So we might not have that challenge, but we will come against another sunset hearing in a year. And so we have really have to make sure that we're ready to go for that. Tiara, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Where can we find you on social media? You can follow me on Instagram at tthomas with four S's and two underscores. HBCUs are more than a trend. Yeah. We're forever a part of the culture. HBCU Pulse always has you on lock. From the shade room to your favorite news feed. And now on your TV and radio. We are, 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 are the number one outlet for HBCU culture. Follow HBCU Pulse on social media. And visit HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the show on today. But before we close out, I want to raise awareness on a confluence of events that could possibly affect Florida A&M University. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has waged a war on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives at the state's public higher education institutions. Last July, I wrote an article on HBCUPulse.com doing a deep dive on the quote Stop Woke Act and how he wanted to use the law to take control of Florida's public colleges and universities. Woke in this context stands for Stop the Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees. In my article from last summer, I spoke about the draft legislation that was uncovered by independent journalist Jason Garcia that put a large amount of power in the hands of DeSantis and his political appointees. I spoke about this draft legislation and how it would allow the state legislator to veto proposed budgets and even cut funding if the state deems the public college or university isn't following their outline rules. The most alarming part I found in this draft legislation is that it strips power from the presidents of public colleges and universities in Florida and grants the board of trustees for these institutions the power to hire and fire professors. This is concerning because the state government already has oversight of Florida's public colleges and universities board of trustees. Although each institution has their own board of trustees, these boards are under the jurisdiction of a statewide board of governors where the governor, at this point DeSantis, appoints 14 of the 17 members. So taking power from the president for key university functions effectively would allow DeSantis control of the functions of the colleges and universities. Well, the draft legislation that I talked about last summer looks to now be set to turn into law. House Bill 999, if passed, would take effect July 1st. It seems as if DeSantis can't wait for the bill to be passed, like a kid on Christmas Eve that can't wait to open their presents. DeSantis recently appointed six new members to the Board of Trustees at Liberal Arts Institution, New College of Florida. Immediately after the new Board of Trustee members were named, they fired the president, Patricia Ocker. Chris Rufo, one of DeSantis' appointees to the Board of Trustees, said that there would be a, quote, top-down restructuring and that a new curriculum would be created from scratch. The board has recently voted to abolish the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Office. Hundreds of New College of Florida students have protested these moves by the board, and an op-ed in Teen Vogue by two New College of Florida professors says that, quote, what the DeSantis administration is trying to do, in brief, is force a conservative Christian model of education onto our public college attempting to choke out hard-won academic freedom. This, admittedly, is frightening. Leaders using their political power to take control of a public institution is something I never would have imagined. However, we're here. And now we need to stay focused on what the possible passage of House Bill 999 could mean for Florida A&M University, the only public HBCU in the state of Florida. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing overtly that says FAMU will be targeted. And I'm confident in FAMU's alumni and student body's ability to mobilize politically to stop any rash actions by the state, just as they did to stop talks of the merger with Florida State in 1967 that we talked about at the top of the show. Also, some reports of the Stop Woke Act were blocked locked in court last November and House Bill 999 could be subjected to the same action as well if passed. But this is a concerning trend that's worth note. The fact that our public HBCUs are vulnerable to political attacks due to our historical mission to uplift black students scares me. What scares me even more is that it seems as if we can't prevent what could possibly come, but we can't stop our fight. We have to continue to advocate and shed light on what's happening. There's power in our voice and there's power in bringing attention to a front on the sustainability of our institutions. And more than anything, this has to be our wake-up call to vote in local and state elections. We have to put leaders in office that can properly advocate for our issues and always act in the interest of the people. We'll keep you updated on House Bill 999 and what's to come in the future on HBCPost.com.
But make sure to follow HBC Pulse on Instagram and YouTube at HBC Pulse, Twitter and TikTok, the HBC Pulse. Subscribe to HBC Pulse Radio wherever you get your podcasts. And one more thing. If you'd like to donate to HBCU Pulse to help us bring more stories like this to the HBCU audience, you can cash app us at dollar sign HBCU Pulse or visit paypal.me slash HBCU Pulse to support us. We must support Black-owned media so we can bring light to issues affecting the HBCU community, just like the Ebony Magazine article that I referenced earlier in the show. Any support would be greatly appreciated. But thank you for tuning in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side and we'll catch you next week. Like what you hear? Uh, yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank, thank you, you for, for listening, listening to HBCU, HBCU Pulse, Pulse Radio. Radio.